This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A, 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 a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. From the offseason through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one giant, giant step. step. Okay, Christmas in the rear view. Welcome into One Giant Step. I'm Sean Morash. He's Paul Dottino, a non-victory Monday, a losing Monday following Saturday's 27-24 loss, a heartbreaker. Wake me up when you hear this before a team record kick to beat the Giants has happened for an opponent. Insert here, Greg Joseph, the latest as the Giants lose on a 61 yarder at the gun, a game that was filled with a lot of positives and a lot of mistakes that you do worry if that kind of stuff happens in a playoff game, you'd be kicking yourself. So we will dissect it from all angles. First, Paul, hope the trip to Minnesota went well for you. And uh, welcome back and a Merry Christmas. And we'll recap this bad boy. Yeah, Merry, Merry Christmas to you and everybody out there. It was uh, minus 27 degrees wind chill, I believe, or minus 29 at game time. But we had a roof over our heads. And I was very grateful for that. I know Bud Grant was ticked off. He'd rather play outside. <laughs> but he was watching the game at home. And you know, he didn't have to deal with those elements uh, in any event. I, I will tell you, I will tell you this, Sean, the thing that that I think is a little bit blunting uh, uh, some of the disappointment of this game, and maybe it is for you, maybe it's not. But much like we talked about before the Philly game and before the, the Washington game that wound up in a tie, the Giants are still completely in control of their own destiny. And they knew going in that, that was going to be the case it did not matter win or lose they would still be in 100 percent control of their fate sure they might have been in a situation where they'd have to win the final two games but at least you know what's going to happen based on what you do you're not biting your nails off looking at the scoreboard as you were a couple of years ago when philly tanked that last game of the season so in that regard, yes. this was not devastating. But yeah. in the other regard, well, I'm still waiting for the time when an NFL kicker hits a 70-yarder to beat the I, Giants on the final play because it will happen one day. Yeah. Paul, I, I sat there. I was sitting with my dad, my neighbor, Dave, and both of them. There's no way he makes this kick. I said, guys, it's inside. I've seen worse kicks made against the Giants. He's making the kick. He's absolutely making the kick. And, of course, he did. There's no doubt. And, Paul, with that, yeah, and I'll spin this forward a little bit. I, I want to focus on some of the negatives for the positives. I do want you to hold this thought. The fact that the Giants knew they would control their own destiny afterwards and the fact that they knew that they were going to go against a soft defense as far as getting the passing game going, I think 
that we saw some breadcrumbs and some things for the Giants that they could grow a lot of confidence off of. And I just wonder if not having that do or die mentality the way it felt the week before with the commanders might have helped the Giants in the long run figure some things out offensively where they, you know, could kind of play a little more free and easy. But first, before we focus on all the positives, because there was a lot of it, and Daniel Jones deserves basically a badge of honor for everything that happened on Saturday, the negatives. There was a laundry list, Paul. I I mean, from the block punt with four and change left that completely altered everything. Richie James's drop on third down, which the Giants end up getting a 55-yard out of Cano. Had two fourth-quarter drops. Two fourth-quarter drops. Well, specifically the one bad, bad one that where they were churning inside. Yep, that was horrible. Both Um, of his fourth-quarter drops would have been first downs that he held on to the ball. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not going to kill other drops like where Hodgins drops that third down. It was tight coverage. Good play by Peterson. Obviously, Daniel Jones's interception is going to be put under a magnifying glass. But look, the guy hadn't had a pass interception since the Detroit game. And before the Detroit game was a long drought, too. So I'm not going to crush Daniel Jones for interceptions. It's one thing he doesn't do. And, of course, the Bellinger fumble, which I give Bellinger credit post game. He took all ownership about I need to hang on to that for a rookie who's not a high pick either, who's had a lot thrown at his plate. Boy, he stood up there and answered that like a champ. When frankly, I'd be honest, of all the mistakes, looking back on replay, I just looked at that as an unbelievably great play that a lot of good players might have fumbled on that. But still, all of those plays were killers, Paul. Um, Obviously, you know, we could rank them from here to there. What do you think was the biggest, basically, falter that was the death blow to the Giants in the end? Oh, I thought the block punt was the most critical one because obviously not only did that give the Vikings golden field position, but then it allowed them to get the touchdown that made it an eight-point game. Uh, You mentioned Bellinger. Look, he came back with the redemption, making a terrific stab on a dart of of Daniel Jones's in the back of the end zone for the two-point conversion that tied the game. So, you know, that's always nice to see when a young player makes a critical mistake but then when he's called upon the next time, he redeems himself. So I thought that was pretty important there. But, yeah, the block punt, uh, you know, the guy came right up the middle. Uh, Casey Kreider looks like he, he lost his balance or something, and he went down to the ground, and that's why the the uh, the rusher was right in Gillen's face. Uh, and there was nothing he could do about it. I mean, a part of me was like, well, maybe he could have got, no, he couldn't have. You watch the replay. There's no way he was getting out of that. That was going to be a block punt. Great job by Julian Love. I was say yes. He fell on the ball so well, that he, the Vikings couldn't scoop and score. And not only that, Love not only fell on the ball, I mean, he, he got within semi-striking distance that there was at least a glimmer of a thought, wow, maybe he breaks a tackle here and he gets the first down out of it. I mean, it was never going to happen, but there was like that that glimmer of who knows. But obviously that's brutal. And anytime, Paul, it just feels like where a podcast keeps bringing up, games decided by special teams. I mean, the Seattle game clearly decided by those fumbles on the punts. This game with the block punt, uh, it just it sets you back. You cannot lose games on special teams. And I know it's weird because the flip side is Gano essentially doesn't miss and is making kicks from all over the place. So you could argue they're winning a lot of games from that angle of special teams. But special teams mistakes, just it, it's unbelievable how many games can come down to them. Yeah, and, and that's what happens when you're you know swimming in the quicksand of mediocrity. Uh, right. A play here or there, a call here or there, and all of a sudden the game is decided. The shame about it is with the Giants special teams is that they've got this unbelievably robotic kicker in Gano who is like as automatic as as you can get. They've got Gillen who has 
really on occasion boomed some terrific punts. Very also, inconsistent, though, Paul. But also Very. inconsistent, right? Yep. Also inconsistent. You have coverage units, which have been inconsistent. And you have a return game that hasn't really done very much. Uh, the wild part about this was, Sean, that the Giants really didn't get burned in the return game the other day. The no, special team's mistake had nothing to do with giving the Vikings field position off of a return. It had to do with a blocked punt, which yeah. was even worse. You're a thousand percent right about that. And again, we're going to save a segment here for a lot of the positives. So let's keep the negatives coming. Uh, obviously, we'll get into the Giants going down the field right after that and tying the game on, I mean, just the signature jo- drive by Daniel Jones, capped yeah. off by an enormous run, his best of the day by Saquon Barkley as the hole opens, the seize part, and he runs in there. And then, as you mentioned, the two-point conversion, which was just a thing of beauty from Daniel Jones. So now you get to a spot. Uh, here you are. Vikings, Kirk Cousins, Ojolari out of the game. Oh, by the way, man, this poor guy. Every time he's on the field, he gets a sack, and he had a big one earlier in the game. Gets hurt again, uh, which we can get into in a little bit. You don't have him on that pass rush. Thibodeau is doing all he can. At, you know, obviously, whether it's Darius or whoever, I mean, he's just getting he's getting locked up. By the way, you know, everybody wants to complain to Washington about what was missed the call earlier that final play that sets up the field goal can we get a holding call on cave on Thibodeau I've went back and watched that multiple oh, times. Yeah. Well, oh yeah unbelievable oh, yeah. I mean I could argue that's a worse non-call nobody talking about that because giant fans don't quite cry like commander fans but how did you think based on no secondary obviously still missing Jackson earlier in the game you had obviously love and Holmes who did everything they could Hawkinson, and only to have that play come through but late in the game Landon Collins gets that sack then obviously what happened there on the Jefferson and catcher, the two of them in the catch and run. Did you have any problem with the wink play this? And it's just, just a matter of not having, you know, enough talented bodies out there, Paul? That sets no, up that it's a run. matter of, of guys making great plays for the Vikings. You know, you always hear they get paid too. There were two catches by Jefferson on the game-winning drive. One in which Wink sent the house and came within like that much of plastering yeah. uh, Cousins into the turf. So, the play, the, the, the play call was good. They forced Cousins into making a really a desperation throw. And to be frank with you, I don't think Holmes was that far off of Jefferson. He closed and and Jefferson made the play. He's Jefferson might be the MVP to lead. I know no, there's I some it. people gonna think it's Jalen Hurts. I think it's Jefferson. All day, look, all day long, Jefferson was a thorn in their side. Oz was Hawkinson, clearly. And, oh, by the way, I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about with the Giants and building up, and they had admirable days from Slayton James and Isaiah Hodgins, which we'll get to. But, you know, if Justin Jefferson simply changes jerseys and flimps teams, I think it's pretty obvious to say who wins this game, too, Paul. He's the it's difference not even in close. the game. Yeah, he's the difference in close. the game. It's the difference you know, in the game. So, so, so you get the desperation throw by Cousins – uh, Jefferson makes a nice play on it because he's who he is. And then on the screen pass at the end, as you said, uh, clearly Thibodeau was held, and it was right at the point of attack. It Unbelievable. Right where the screen he was designed the play to go. if he's not held. And, and immediately after he gets held and twisted, he looks at the ref, and there's no yeah. call. And uh, whatever, whatever. Let's talk about the fact, though, that with a, a very suspect secondary – and with a suspect wide receiving core like the Giants have been playing with now for the last month and a half, okay, they were still right there. Hawkinson yeah. made a phenomenal catch on the touchdown, okay? It was unbelievable. And quite frankly, 
Jefferson did a hell of a job on his post route on his touchdown too, because Pinnock came over a little bit late. But but let's not kid ourselves. The coverage was tight. The throw was outstanding, and the catch was really good. The Vikings needed to make at least two outstanding plays in the passing game to to be able to escape with that. And again, I, I think if I'm the Giants, and I I got this feeling in the locker room after the game. The Giants feel that they let this one kind of get through their butterfingers. They know they can play with the Vikings. Yeah. They know they can beat the Vikings. And I'd venture to say, I'll speak for them, I think they'd love to get the Vikings in the first yeah. round. Yeah, and I and I was going to add to that, too. Also, another part that we didn't bring up, too. I'm not going to kill him. Would have been a great play. Flot, the the pick not holding on to that. Obviously, sits yeah. on Hawkinson. That's an interception tell that kind of gets forgotten in the game. Yeah. You know, whatever. Okay, that's another part. But... To that point, this has been kind of the game I've been searching for. I was kind of hoping we saw it two weeks ago versus the Eagles in that I am not looking for some kind of crazy Super Bowl run for the Giants. So I hate when people, well, oh, don't bring up 07-11. But this was the kind of game that felt like Packers regular season 11, Patriots regular season 07. Not in that level, but in the build that locker room up and go, look, that's the next best thing NFC has to offer. And we went blow for blow with them in their building. And we did some things offensively that have been called that we haven't done all game. So I think that's from that standpoint, you're taking a run with it. And Paul, do you one better because of that? Obviously the giants in those seasons got to see those teams again and had that confidence, you know, with all the way the dominoes fell this weekend, and obviously the Giants should have been rooting for a Packer loss yesterday. It did not happen. But the fact that the Packers won, well, geez, now suddenly the Packers really are going to be all out in that game with the Vikings next week and start to look at those standings. If the Giants can beat the Colts and you get in that sixth spot, you know, tell me, wouldn't you much rather see the Minnesota Vikings here if they were to lose a game and play in that kind of matchup than the Giants end up with the San Francisco 49ers? Because There's I think no that's question. The case. Yeah. You know, Sean, I've been saying for the last many weeks now, Philadelphia and San Francisco are the two best teams in the conference. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, Dallas might even be the third best team in the conference. Uh, and Minnesota would be maybe a distant fourth. I Honestly, I looked at that Vikings team, and come on, you're going to tell me that you didn't feel better? Of course you did. With that game than you did the two Giants-Dallas games? Absolutely. Not even close. Not I would even be close. I would be fired up and, dare I say, picking the Giants to win the game after what I saw if I if we see them on wild card weekend. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you I will right now. I yeah. think the Giants win the rematch. I'll tell you that right now. And oh, by the, the way. the report will have something to do with it. Uh, that's the other thing. And that's the other thing. And maybe we'll get to that now, Paul. The Giants... We've been waiting, 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 and I understand their cautiousness. They are now in a win-and-in situation at home versus a, an Indianapolis Colts team. It's not a great team, but you know what? It's the NFL, and anybody can win any given week. they got to stop screwing around with a Dory Jackson. It's do-or-die time. He's got to get on the field on Sunday. He's got to get on yeah, the field. I'd be very surprised if he's not. I know we've been saying that for the last couple of weeks. I watched him at practice. He does a lot of running, a lot of sprinting, does a bunch of agility drills. He looks very nimble. And he says he feels very nimble, and he sounds like he sounds like he was ready to go a couple weeks ago. But again, if they needed to hold him back, and maybe this was the maybe this was the deal all along. Maybe the medical folks felt that there was still too much risk, and it was like, wait a minute, when you when you really need him, when your backs are against the wall, and you really need him, do you want him for the stretch run and yeah. maybe for the playoffs? Because think about it, they would they would have been correct to be cautious. If they held him out to this Colts game, okay, he blankets Pittman and basically takes him out. Giants win the game, make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden now 
You've got Adore Jackson going into the first round of the playoffs to guard Jefferson potentially in Minnesota. How yeah. would that make you feel? Much better. Much better. But, you know, and the, and the thing is you can't also, even if you got this done without Jackson running him basically back out there on wildcard weekend, if they're not playing by that point, eight weeks or whatever it had been, you know, they just, they need to knock some rust off and they need to get him on the field. I'm, and with all due respect, these guys have been scrap heap guys all year. McLeod dropping another pick. I mean, the Giants just look, the, the bodies need the, you know, the reinforcements. They need him. And if McKinney's not going to come, it's got to be Jackson and they got to stop fooling around. Other injury notes. I brought up Ojolari. He called it a basketball sprain. Deep to sound too serious, but this is a guy clearly, Paul, with the calf injuries all year long. I mean, do you have any sense of, you know, where the mindset was with the Ojolari injury post game? I talked to him after the game. He said he got rolled up on. Uh, so, you know, that's one of your typical basketball injuries. A guy gets stepped on on the court. He said he got rolled up on during the game. Did not seem very upset or distressed about it. Now, of course, the Giants wanted to wait till overnight, as they always do. Anytime you get a sprain, they want to wait till overnight and see how it reacts. Sure. We have not talked or seen the players, obviously, since uh, coming home from Minnesota. Yeah. So we won't get a chance. We'll, we'll talk to Dayball today. I, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, we'll see he's day-to-day. Every injury is we'll see he's day-to-day. Of course. Yeah. I mean, even after Custer's last stand, Custer was we'll see in day-to-day. <laughs> All right? I understand. I, I know how it works. So, you know, I, I, I would be very anxious to see. I always try to tell you guys, right. everybody on our program, I like to see what I see at practice. I'll give you an eyewitness estimation about what I see, and then based on an educated guess, what, yeah. what I can give you. So let's wait until we get that. Probably it, that'll be tomorrow, right? As we tape this on Monday. Monday. Yeah, so it'll be Tuesday. Tomorrow, right. Tuesday, the Giants will hit the practice field. And remember, and that, that'll be the first time I'll get a chance to see them. As far as injuries and everything that goes with it, you know, the Giants have been burned by this the last two weeks. Minnesota playing on a Saturday, Giants playing on a Sunday night turnaround. The week before, Washington comes off the bye. Giants come off their game. They end up not being a problem. This week, the Colts are the Monday night game. We haven't even seen the Indianapolis Colts with Nick Foles at quarterback. They'll play the Chargers. You may have already watched the game by the time you're listening to this. But the Giants will be coming off the elongated break from Saturday. So the Giants also, injury-wise, compared to what their opponent is going to be, are going to get the break here in terms of days off, Paul, which I think is key. Uh, also, Leonard Williams, I mean, he came back into the game, thankfully. It's just unbelievable, the ultimate NFL Ironman. Uh, and to have that happen, uh, you know, to get hurt, come back in, is unreal. Yeah, you know, um, I-, I will say this. If there's one thing that you can kind of gain from all of these injuries – besides the obvious experience that that all these backup guys have had, I also think it's kind of brought the team together psychologically, you know, the us against the world mentality. They they didn't play. Woe is me at no time. Have the giants played. Woe is me. It's always been next man up. You got to do the job. Let's fight like hell and see if we can't do something about this. And they've maintained that entire uh, mindset throughout the the course of the season, despite the fact that they continue to get dinged left and right. It's like there's a field of landmines in front of them, and they keep stepping on them every week. It's amazing. But but psychologically, I think it's toughened the team, Sean. I really do. Yeah, I mean, they've got that next man up, and, and that'll transition to our positives here, which includes the wide receiver room. Obviously, this is a unit that's felt like the weakest unit on the football team, and People have screamed and yelled and said, Daniel Jones, you know, all his haters need to do more with less and yada, yada, yada. 
Well, that was the case on the field, Paul, uh, on Sunday, on Saturday. We can talk about the receivers first. We can talk about Jones first. I'm going to start with the quarterback. People want to jump out and say, oh, it's Daniel Jones' best game. I've seen him play great games down in Washington. I, I saw him come alive in New Orleans last year. Uh, this was not an easy spot. This was obviously, you know, in a loud building, asking to do a lot. I thought Daniel Jones was brilliant on Sunday and obviously throwing for over 300 yards, throwing for the touchdown. The pick hurts, but again, he's in, he's allowed. He hasn't thrown so many of them. When the team needed it, big third down throws and a couple of those dropped as well. Daniel Jones was delivering strikes on Sunday poll. And by the way, what do we see? One, two, at least three deep balls that traveled, what, 15, 20 yards in the air. James caught one, Slayton caught one, and Hodgins caught one. And then, of course, on that game-tying drive, had that perfect you know, slant-out route to uh, to Darius Slayton on that catch-and-run as well. Jones was great on, on Saturday, Paul. He really was. And, you know, I, I don't know what more people want from him. As, as this game turned out, and you kind of got the feeling, or maybe you didn't, Sean, but in the fourth quarter, it almost seemed like the team that had the ball last was going to win. Oh, of course. That's just the way it was going to happen. Yeah. Because Jones, Jones, even with a suspect wide receivers room, was able to go toe-to-toe with Kirk Cousins. And, and the receivers he's got, the weaponry he's got, and Daniel was like, okay, fine. I need to go down 75 yards in 59 seconds and tie the game up and hit the two-point conversion? No problem. We'll take care of that. And he did it just like yeah. that, as we've was- seen so many times before. He's got five game-winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime this year. And, my God, might have been able to put together another one had, had the defense held on and not given up the 61-yard field goal. I, I still don't understand what more people want from him? They got their 300 and something plus yards. The fantasy football people can actually lick their chops for a change and say, oh, we got good fantasy football numbers. <laughs> Paul, you're right. I have I have uh, two buddies of mine who are like just in the anti-Jones camp. It becomes so nauseating. I ignore their texts on Sundays. And after the game, I kind of you know sent them, uh, you know, you guys are real quiet today. And I got this one. It was almost so stubborn. He still left some plays out on the field. What? Yeah. What yeah. place? What place did he leave out on the field? I mean, did you miss when he could have took him down for two more touchdown drives when Bellinger fumbled and when Richie James dropped that third down? That could have been another 14 points, I guess 11 points, whatever, when you count the field goal. I mean, what is the guy supposed to do? People have to hold on to footballs, too. It's like if Jones doesn't put a ball right in the numbers, it's a problem. You know, I even saw some people online criticizing, wow, you know, that throw to Hodgins. Hodgins really bailed out Jones. So now Jones leading the receiver is a problem too. He throws a yeah. receiver, you kill him. He puts it out in front of him. <laughs> like every, every deep throw has to be perfect and stride to be a touchdown or it's not a good throw, Paul. He cannot win with some of these people who hate him. Sean, you have to understand the blind will always be blind. You can't help them. You just can't help them. No matter what they see, they won't see it. And it's that's okay. Crazy. It's that's crazy. okay. Cause they're, guess what? They're not the ones in the front office who are going to offer Jones an extension at the end of the season. Yeah, so you don't, don't have to you don't have to worry about those people. And look around the NFL. Uh, suddenly it feels like there could be a lot more suitors for Daniel Jones as well. There's a lot of bad quarter, including, by the way, across town in New York, too. Now, you know what, Sean? I want to bring up one other thing that's kind of a throwback here. You remember in, in, in 2004 when the Giants played Dallas the last game of the season? I was in and the they building. Were, yep. And they were faced with – what was a defining moment in Eli Manning's career? 
He audibles out, hands off to Tiki Barber up the middle. Barber races in for the touchdown on the final play of the game, and it's do or die. I got the same sense on the handoff to Barkley where he ran for the touchdown and brought the Giants within two uh, the other day. As I, as I was on the sideline and I'm watching the play set up, I don't know because I did not get a chance to talk to Daniel if that was a run-pass option or not, but I got the impression from, from looking at it that there was a run-pass option and he went with the run and, of course, Barkley busted it. I mean, that's do or die right there. I know it's not the last play of the game, but clearly oh if, if Barkley doesn't run for that touchdown, the Giants don't tie it. Yo, and, and not only that, one better pull. People kept saying the Giants scored too early, scored too early. Well, what if they don't get the two-point conversion, which was a brilliant play by Jones as well? That what happened, a throw. That happened at 201. It was still north of the two-minute. You know, they had timeouts, I believe. Uh, you know, you still, who knows? They still might need another field goal to win. And on that play, you talk about audibling out or whatever. You know, they didn't simply just run some kind of play like they ran on the two-point try in Tennessee week one. Jones was in a rollout spot. I'm sure he could have ran if the opportunity presented itself, but they, yes. the Vikings read that well. I mean, he was so patient as defenders started to bear down on him and threw it where only his tight end could go up and get it. And you yep. called it a dart. I don't necessarily, I would necessarily wouldn't call it a dart because it had the perfect kind of touch over the defender's hands. I don't think people appreciate from a quarterback perspective how difficult that throw was that he made to Daniel Bellinger and he made the difficult look easy in tying the game there yeah that that play when he rolls out if it's wide open he certainly can take off but it's a flood it's a flood play where the Giants have three and potentially four guys from the center over to that side of the field and any one of them as he rolls any one of them is, is a potential target and and as the the Vikings played it very well I might add uh, Bellinger was able to lose Patrick Peterson in the back of the end zone and kind of sit down. And then Peterson tried to close and couldn't get there in time. It was a hell of a play by Jones because to be frank with you, Sean, I think that was the only place he could have gone to complete the pass. Yeah, I agree. I don't think any of the other guys were open enough to make the play. Everybody, everybody was locked up, Paul. There's no doubt about it. I went back, I watched it again this morning. Everybody was locked up. Uh, and that's that's what took the patience there. That was do or die. I can't throw this ball away. I'm going to stand in there. I'm going to wait till the very yeah. last second. Oh, but remember, Sean, Daniel Jones doesn't have field vision. Daniel yeah. Jones doesn't have good decision making. Remember yeah. that. He only yeah. locks into one receiver all the time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Thank you. So, Paul, uh, quick couple hitters here, and this is going to tie in. I, I thought, again, two I, – I mean, I don't even think they're unsung heroes, but one, Isaiah Hodgins. We brought him up and kind of mentioned this throughout. What a great game for him again. What an unbelievable pickup he's been. And, look, he's not Justin Jefferson, clearly, but Isaiah Hodgins is showing enough that makes you think whatever the Giants do with this wide receiver room, whether it's through draft, free agency trade, and adding some kind of true number one wide receiver, Isaiah Hodgins probably should be back on this team uh, and finding a role in some way, shape, or form on the wide receiver depth chart. He uh, well, he keeps getting better and better every week, Paul. Yeah, I'm um, looking at his numbers now, 29 catches for a little over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Yes, yeah, certainly a medium-range threat. I think of, of more importance, uh, I charted him for his first drop with 29 catches. That was I'll the third. That, that was the third down with the, the tight coverage on Peterson. It was definitely a drop that I think a, a great wide receiver does catch the ball. I didn't kill him for that because again, you have to set your expectations as well. But yeah, another play that you know if a wide receiver makes a play, you're talking about Jones just moving the charts again. The other guy I wanted to bring up because he's worth bringing it up. 
Did you notice the Giants against the run didn't feel, I don't even have the numbers, but it never felt like they were getting crushed, crushed the way they were in previous weeks. And then you throw in a sack late in the game. Landon Collins, Paul, I thought was another Indeed. positive game. He, you know, he is fitting that role perfectly. And the Giants did look like a better defense on the field with Landon Collins playing some of the Tate Crowder role. 19 carries for 83 yards for the Vikings on the whole. Cook had 14 for 64 and a long of 18. Really what it came down to, Cousins threw the ball or at least dropped back more than 50 times. Yeah, true. Clearly the Vikings had decided that they wanted to beat a suspect giant secondary. And so their game plan was, we're just going to pump feed Hawkinson and Jefferson and we're going to, we're going to throw it a ton. Uh, they only paid for it in terms of the four sacks, okay? I thought the Giants would get five. They only got four. Uh, and then, obviously, the Giants had uh, two interceptions taken away, one by a, a kind of a soft pass interference call, but it was there, and, and then the one that Flott allowed to hit the ground. Yeah. So it almost backfired on Minnesota to go that route. But I do believe, nonetheless, I would agree with you, I do believe that the Giants definitely played the run better. And Landon Collins, I thought, of, I thought made probably three really important yeah. plays, including a blow-up of Jefferson on a wide receiver yes, screen. Yes, yes. That was near the Giants' sideline where he fought through what was supposed to be a, a pick on the screen and like a missile turned Jefferson into a pancake. Yeah, and, and be honest, it, if Jefferson obviously doesn't have that scramble late, and the let's say the Giants won the toss, went down the field, scored a touchdown, won the game. Oh, that play, that play is all over the place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and obviously the sack, yeah, it would be unbelievable. Landon Collins would be talked about for a long time. All right, Paul, so we're later in the week, we're going to come back, obviously, with a game preview, but the Giants are now well aware. I mean, they've avoided, and Dable's tried to avoid saying the P word, playoffs all year, we've said that. But they are... No scoreboard watching, no nothing. They are winning in in a home game at MetLife Stadium versus the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. Saquon Barkley did say after the game or tweeted about the MetLife crowd, bring it, rock it. I think the crowd's going to be into it. I mean, this is a home crowd that deserves to be rewarded. Uh, there's been This has been some season that started with Tennessee. For that crowd to flood in on New Year's Day and, and get a sense, hey, the Giants win, they are in the playoffs, uh, you know, feeling sense early. Obviously, we haven't seen or, or had anybody speak to the team. I think this team's going to be into and embrace the moment, Paul. Yeah, I do too. I think these fans are going to go bonkers. And let me tell you, it was loud in Minnesota the other day, about as loud as any stadium that I've heard all season. And I would expect these home fans, and we kind of alluded to this off the air last week, Sean, when I said to you, there's a part of me that thinks this home crowd which has not exactly seen a ton of winning times in MetLife Stadium, would really appreciate the Giants getting the clincher against Indianapolis. And it's yeah. all set up for them now. We, we, you know, without getting into a preview, we know the Colts are playing on Monday Night Football. We know Jonathan Taylor's loss for the season. Their quarterback situation's kind of messed up. Um, you know, I, I see no reason why the Giants wouldn't come out with, with all the bullets in the chamber and just just let the Colts have it. But again, just so people do understand, a Giants win or one loss by any of these three teams, Seattle, Detroit, Green Bay, or Washington, over the final two weeks, and the Giants uh, will clinch. Yeah, so there you have it. 
Giants play. Hopefully we're popping popping bubbly a week from today. That would I be said four plan. teams. I meant three. But I, yeah. I meant I said three, but I meant four. You know what I mean. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha, you, Paul. <laughs> All right, Paul. So this can be a big week of practice, locker room reports. We're going to be tracking the injuries. Where can everybody get you on Twitter? Uh, at Giants WFAN. And hopefully there will be some good news on both Jackson and Old Jalari. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's certainly a, a big game for, for sure. All right. And at Mraz CBS, where you can find me, thanks to producer Adam. And thank you to everybody for taking one giant step with us.